Sonic State Roscom. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this uh, Sonic Talk Extra. Um, I'm very happy to be able to uh, introduce to you Mr. Daniel Miller, head of Mute Records. Uh, um, and, well, just some say the, the grandfather of uh, electro- British electronic music scene. How are you, Daniel? Um, I'm fine, thank you. Um, grandfather. Yeah, maybe not really. The people, the people were doing lots before I got going. Well, maybe pop then. Yeah, well, maybe. Whatever. Grandfather's okay, though. Well, I've, I've, I've been doing a bit of research upon you, uh, which, uh, which, which does actually kind of indicate how uh, deferential you are. And you're a very modest chap, but I know very much uh, that there's an awful lot that you are, you can take credit for and be responsible. Obviously, Mute Records have been going for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, that must be taking an enormous amount of your time. I mean, are you, are you finding that, uh, have you still got the love? I must have really, because uh, otherwise I, w- I don't think I'd be doing it. Because it is a lot of, you know, it's always been uh, a lot of work, obviously. Because I, you know, me and everybody who works around me really care about what we're doing. So, and you know, you want to get everything right as right as you can. You know, you can't always get everything right by any stretch of the imagination. But in order to do that, yeah, it, you know, but it's fun though. It's enjoyable. And um, if it wasn't enjoyable, if I wasn't getting some kind of uh, something back from it, you know. It, yeah, I still enjoy it a lot. And, you know, we've gone through a big change recently because we left EMI and became independent again. And oh, I didn't know that. We, uh, we, were, we were with EMI, with EMI from around 2002. And then, um, and then last year, around October time, after a lengthy discussions with them, uh, we've, we've, we're, we're independent again. And... Um, Still, I still work with them on some of the art. Some of the artists are still there for for a while. Depeche, uh, Goldfrapp, Richard Hawley are still with EMI for the remainder of their contracts, and I'm still working closely with those artists. And they're still being distributed by EMI and marketed by EMI. But Mute itself, we've moved out of the building. We've got our own office, and we're we're up and running as an independent. Is it kind of nice to be back? For, uh, or wasn't there? Is there not that much of a tangible difference? Well, there's 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 a, in some areas a massive difference. I mean. You know, we were with EMI for for a while. Um, it 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 was it worked very well in the first sort of five or six years. But as uh, the industry changed and the and EMI yeah. changed, we were we were getting more and more absorbed in within EMI, which was not the original plan. The idea when yeah. we sold it, the guy who was running it when we sold it really wanted us to be separate. You know, he wanted he you know he he knew. He, I guess he wanted something different within EMI and he, wanted, and he kind of respected that difference. And I think he wanted us to kind of carry on what we were doing. Right. And I think within EMI, we, we were absorbed more as, a, as, a, as another EMI label. And even though I had kind of artistic kind of control in the sense of who I signed, just, you know, we were becoming slowly absorbed into the company. And yeah, I it's, think, it's inevitable. I mean, the, that corporate creep is inevitable, isn't it, in a lot of situations? So it's... Yeah, I mean, it is, I guess it was inevitable in... Well, perhaps taking it back to kind of the roots of uh, electronic music and how it kind of all started out for you. Because, I mean, initially, you know, you are uh, first and foremost an artist in your own right, right? How did you yeah, kind I, of... I made, I, made a, I made a couple of records, if that's an artist, yes. Well, yeah. I mean, some people, you know, that it, 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 it's widely known that, you know, you were kind of heavily influenced by the sort of in, the, the, the kind of German post post-war sound of the electronic of can and uh, Kraftwerk and all those guys and yeah. it's sort of uh, it seems to me that you know 
that you're you have a big reputation for in terms of production and also uh, creating your own music as well. I mean, do you find that you get time, a lot of time to do that still? Is that something that you kind of make space for? Well, I gave up producing records a long, long time ago. I kind of fell into produce. I mean, I forget. I fell into working with other artists simply because. When I started Mute and I started to work with artists like uh, Fad Gadget and, and Depeche in the early days, I just happened to know a tiny bit more than they did about working in the studio. Right. And so, I mean, literally, you know, a little bit more. I had no real clue at all. And so I ended up collaborating with them. They were always co-productions, really. Um, right. uh, uh, but, you know, I wasn't a professional record producer. We just made the records together, really. And uh, the actual... And I did do a couple one or two things as a producer which i didn't really enjoy doing production particularly as a as, you know it's i enjoy the collaborative thing working with the band right. kind of being you know but there's a lot about record production that i don't really enjoy that much it's quite there's a lot of it's kind there's of, a lot of admi- it's administration and politics i'd imagine come into it uh, on a number of occasions I'd... i mean i don't mind the politics but i do mind the administration and, <laughs> and also Lots of sitting around waiting for things to happen, you know, or trying to make things well, happen, yeah. which I, you know, but but I do I did enjoy collaborating with in those early days with the artists, and, and I still, I mean, I, I do an A and I mean, I kind of do A and R really. So I go down to if, you know, I go down to the studio at various points in the project that, uh, depending on what the project is, and help and see if, any, if there's anything I can do to help, you know, or if um, it varies a lot from artist to artist how much I do or don't do. I mean. But, you know, sometimes after a couple of months, the studio bands just want an extra fresh pair of ears on, yeah. on things. You know? A safe pair or, of ears. Yeah. yeah. Something like, well, about safe, but, you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know but, but, you know, just somebody, the thing is, I mean, what we try and do is when we're planning a recording is, is make sure that before the band go in the studio that we all know what we're doing, really. Right. Uh, I mean, there's never any real shocks when I, when I, you know, it's not like, I don't want to go down there to change the direction of the record or anything like that no. because all that's been agreed before anything even happens, you know, like the right. songs, the songs, the overall kind of feel of the record. So it's really more just like helping out a bit. Maybe do if I if I'm lucky, I get to do a couple of sounds on a synth, but you know that. But otherwise, it's just saying yeah, the hi hat's too loud or the vocal needs a bit more reverb, that sort of thing, you know. Right. Do do you find they um they they prepare the A and R button for you or are they uh, they they put more than happy uh, to? <laughs> I, yeah, well, the legendary button that does nothing at all, all but about, keeps the A and R unhappy. I know all about the A and R button. Yeah, probably they do. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was looking at a sound on sound interview actually from uh, 1998, and I was just checking out your list of synths in the in the home studio. This was. Yeah. Uh, we're talking sort of the a lot of the EMS stuff. EMS Synthy 100. You still got one of those? I've still got all that stuff, yes, for better wow. or worse. Yeah, well, definitely for better, but, you know, I don't I don't get much chance to use it all, and it doesn't all work brilliantly, and I'm not very good at keeping things going, but it looks great, and, it, you know, you know, it's... Uh, it, it, I, I do enjoy um, sitting around in the studio mucking about, basically. It's like a hobby now, almost, and, it's, I, and for that reason, it's really much more enjoyable. You know. Well, that's true. I mean, with all that modular gear, you you can yeah. kind of get lost in modular time, can't oh, you? Which is that totally. sort of uh, so I love time doing warp. It. I love that, and I'm quite into the modern modular stuff as well. You know, the sort of Euro rack style modular synths. I actually yeah. think they're amazing. In fact, because it's, you know, in a relatively small amount of space, you can have uh, just great combinations. 
There's so much um, innovation as well, isn't there, coming in, in you know, yeah. from all these kind of crazy boutique guys who are making very specific things. I mean, that's the one thing that we find at NAM. You know, every year we go, we just see, wow, this is this is just crazy stuff. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, have you found? I mean, you also famously. Uh, uh, I've been a big exponent of uh, the native instruments stuff and the kind of software synthesizers. I mean, have you found that transition an easy one, or is it sort of been you've been longingly looking over your shoulder, wishing that it could do some of the some of the things that you can do on your hardware, or is it a an easy transition for you? Well, I think as long as you don't, it is a pretty easy transition. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a transition because the other stuff is still there, you know. So it's not it's more like an addition rather than a, than a transition. Um, I mean, I think that I think. The, the software stuff is amazing. And at one point, I kind of went completely software and didn't really use any hardware stuff at all in the, in the sort of, four, I don't know, five or six years ago, mm. when I literally, well, not literally, but fairly closely replicated my home studio in my laptop, you know, <laughs> with, you know, Moog Modular and ARP 2600. And, you know, there was a native, there's a native instruments, uh, Synthia. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. That was my goal was to try to get as many. And, you know, obviously they don't sound the same quite the same and they don't work in quite the same way but that's not really the point is it you can't really carry your uh, all that stuff no, on a no, plane you, you can't move it at all can you i mean it's a nightmare no, absolutely exactly. so, i mean i suppose the only thing that i wondered about is how do you um because obviously the the, the the real stuff has a very physical uh quality to it and there's an instinctive yeah. way that you can use it have you kind of come up with a working method that allows you to kind of access it in an instinctive way i mean do you use controllers that side of thing or are you kind of pretty much mouse Mouse and laptop guy. Well, this, I mean, this is the sort of the holy grail, really, isn't it? Is <laughs> yes. this interface. The, well, I figured uh, if anyone might and, have an um, opinion on it, you might. So, <laughs> well, I tell you what, actually, I got to a point before the iPad, because the iPads changed a lot of stuff. Yes. But before the iPad, I, I figured out that I, I, that for me personally, a lot of smaller controllers were better than one big controller, and then so you right. could have your left hands, you know like the little Korg things or whatever, or yeah. you know, some of the smaller things. I found those to be really the best. I, you know, tweaking a synth with a controller, okay, you can have a cut. I don't know, it doesn't quite work for you, but for, for running the software, you know, doing yeah. effects and stuff, I found that was really quite good. And I had a little Kenton box, a killer mix. It looks very simple, but it's really small and tough and versatile, which I liked a lot. I still use that a bit for DJing because I do some DJing now as well. Uh, but the iPad has really changed things a lot, from, you know, and I'm completely blown away by... Well, the fact that it can be whatever, that you can make your own interfaces for exactly. it. And use, that, that's what's so brilliant about it. And it seems to be easier to do that than on... I mean, I, the last thing I want to do in my life is spend a lot of time programming controllers because it works great for live, but in a studio situation where you're constantly wanting to reassign, it's just a pain, isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, I use Ableton Live, and it's actually... That's my that's my personal thing. I love it. I think it suits my way of working perfectly. Um, I mean, they're all they're all good. You know, everybody's got their own thing, and I yeah. work with people who a lot of you know obviously we use Pro Tools or uh, or Logic, and they're all brilliant to work with. But for me personally, I like Ableton. Just I love the loop thing, the the, uh, the, the session page. You know, it's exactly what I've been dreaming of. And when it came out, I was I couldn't believe it. Anyway. And um, and there's some great controllers for that for the iPad. You know, there's oh you sure. Know, uh, there's uh, the one that's really exciting. I mean, one that really is great is is um, is uh, Capture Pad. Capture Pad. Do you know that one? I've heard of it, but I've not got it yet. I'm going to. Uh, we're going to be doing a, an iPad app but series. You say I think. It's live. That's the one. Is that it? is 
well, it's one of the ones. It does <laughs> it's a very specific thing, but it, it's basically it takes a snapshot of the whole page, every single thing on the page of the uh, of, of of Ableton, and so you can have massive effects changes. And, they, you can, and you just take a snapshot of everything, and oh, then you, and then it sort of morph between them. And, yeah, well, you can you cut between them, you can morph between them, you can trigger them from Ableton as well. So it's um, you can have massive effects changes. I'm sort of working that's, on that. I think I think that's the key, isn't it? It's to be to be able yeah. to kind of do things, set them up quickly, and then recall them quickly. Because then that's yeah. that's kind of what you need. Otherwise, you and just like, become an IT professional, don't you? Really? Yeah. And when I'm for DJing, it's just to drop something like that into a, into a DJ set. It's just like you know, it's it's just good fun, you know, to to, to change the whole sound of something, not to put some reverb or bit of. <laughs> So, um, stutter on it and something for a second. Famously, famously, was it last year you started working with Craftwork? I mean, signed them up. Um, that must have been quite a trip, actually, kind of from the beginnings to actually then. Well, what we didn't, well, we, that's not strictly what happened. I mean, the thing is, Craftwork have been signed to EMI for, for years and years and years, pretty much the whole of their career. And the late, they were on the EMI label, which is part of the EMI company. And the EMI label closed down. And the, ah, okay. and the guy who was their product manager and had known worked them for years became our marketing guy, and, and I knew Craftwork a bit. I'd spoken to them on and off over the years. I mean, so much. I'm too much of a fan, really, to be honest. But um, so it was a natural. So we kind of we took over from EMI. We didn't really sign them. We just took, you know, we sort of right. handheld because this remix. Uh, sorry, the reissue project had been going for years and years getting that ready and we took it at the sort of end of it and helped get it out but uh, yes kind of weird really to have craftwork i mean it was very weird to have can on you know we, we also do the can reissues which right. we did for a long time now um that was very weird at the beginning i kind of you know you don't you know it's, it's hard because you have such a strong um you know, image of what the people are like and what what it was like listening to the records for the first time. So, so to, to actually work with the guys, it takes a while to sort of you have to separate the two things in your mind. Yeah, you have to separate the. I fan just think, I mean, it's on, I, I, yeah. on on paper, A and R in craft work has got to be one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. And I mean, their their sort of rate of progress is is not it, it's sort of glacial, perhaps at uh, at best. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of. Well, we didn't really, we didn't really A and R them. I mean, they just do what no. they do and and in their own time, really. And, and now, you know, they are allegedly, they're always recording, I believe, you know, they always yeah. you know, does that work thing. But um, I don't know what they're doing and I can't wait to hear it. And I almost don't want to know what they're doing until it's done anyway, really. No, I just want to hear the record. <laughs> so I'm still caught in that fan versus record company person, sort of no man's land with Craftwork. I think I'm, I'm okay with CanHub. I think Craftwork is still a bit like that, you know. But they're nice guys. And they're good to work with, you know, friendly. Oh well, that's that's all you can ask, really, and and talented, so, brilliant. Yeah, oh, perfect. So, what? Yeah. And speaking more yeah. of the record company, what do you think the role of a record company is now? I mean, it's sort of it seems to be very unclear to a lot of people, and and it must have been, you know, you having to uh, obviously being independent, you can move and be nimble. I mean, what 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 kind of what is it that that record companies do? You know, what's the what happens when you sign a band? Is there a, a blueprint or is it completely fluid? I think it very much depends on uh, the artist, you know, what the artist needs. I mean, I, I'm not particularly pro-record companies. I mean, we, you know, I started, I put my own record out. I didn't go to a record company. And yeah. By putting your own record out, you become a, kind of become a record company by 
by mistake almost. I can't become a record company by, you know, I didn't think about becoming a record company. I just wanted to put a record out. I didn't want anybody else to put my record out. I thought I could do it all myself. And I was, I did it for better or worse. I did it and it was good fun doing it. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very pro people doing that if that's what they want to do, you know, and in some ways it's easier to do that now. And in some ways uh, it's more difficult to do that now. I mean, you know, so it really depends on what people want. You know, usually right. what what a what a band wants is support for marketing, for you know, some financial support. Um, you know, A and R support. It's just basically, you know, I think if a band does something on their own, it's great for a while, but then they go off on. If it starts doing well, they go off on tour, and all of a sudden it becomes other people have to get involved. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's management yeah. or PAs or whatever, because if it's going quite well and you're on tour, you just can't deal with it all as a as a, as a band, unless no. you have somebody in the band who's really all, you know on top of it all. In which case, that's fine. So you do need that support. You know, you need somebody needs to, to tell them, uh, or they they want to know what interview should I do when I'm. In, I've got time to do three interviews when I'm in France. Which three should I do? Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, or, or you know, we need some money to make the record. Or who should we use as a producer? Or and you know, it's just a general support. There's no blueprint, but it's like, okay, how can we help? To the point is, you sign an artist. Why do you sign an artist? You sign an artist because why does Mute sign an artist? I can't speak for anybody else. Why do we sign artists? We, you know, we believe that they're original. We believe that they um, have something to say. We believe they have a long career. Um, we don't necessarily believe that they're commercial at the moment. We don't necessarily believe they're of the moment, but we don't that's not what we think about we think can we work with these people is that are they saying are they saying something to us as a label first of mm. all that we want to work with and as individuals can we can we work with them and once that sort of basic kind of once you tick all those boxes which is a lot of boxes there's a hell of a lot of boxes a lot more than that you know really you go okay now what do we need to do to get you know we discuss what the ambition is and where they want to go musically and career-wise so you sit down and say okay what do we need to do to get from a to b or get to the next step and that you know, that's all. It's a combination of things. It's, you know, I yeah, yeah, yeah. It's complicated. I, I think a lot of people don't really understand that a record company has all of those roles. They just think it's the man, and they sit at the top of the building and swiddle in their chairs and smoke cigars, you know, and, and take all the money. Smoke, which I do as well, obviously. Well, I do of that course. As part of my job description. Especially You've got to I, at least by but, now, yeah. Exactly, but um, you know, um, I know I've heard sort of anti record company talk on your podcast and that's fair enough and you know i think you know there are good record companies and there are bad record companies isn't that it's nothing to do with wager and they might just like there are good people and bad people you know but though i think there are more good people in record companies now in a way because i think it's become so much more difficult to to do as a record label to actually make it all work financially and as a business people aren't it's not a big people don't come into the music business these days for the money too much i don't think as a vocation. It's, a it's, a it's something you love, you know, and I think that's a good thing. And the people who are still working around, you know, working in it, I think generally it's better, it's better people, you know, for the, for, the, for the job, you know. So, you know, I don't know what a record company does, really. I, you, you Dead bands definitely don't need record companies, that's absolutely for sure, but they can also be very helpful to, to an artist too. So it's, you know. Certainly, certainly. And, and do you do you are you involved in all of the new signings? I mean, you kind of still get excited when you hear stuff and kind of try and make things happen. I mean, how does you know? You must hear a lot of material. You know, is is it uh, 
by the time it gets to you, is it all kind of great, or do you kind of still have to sift through the? the well, I mean, I, you know, I don't listen to. I mean, there's obviously a bit of a filter. It wouldn't be possible for me to listen to sure. everything that comes comes our way. Um, no, it's not all great by any stretch. You know, there's a lot. You know, it's it goes in cycles, really. Look, just maybe because it's our newfound independence or whatever, or maybe and we're generally feeling positive and whatever we signed quite a few things in the last you know in the last sort of six months more probably more new things than we've ever had at any one time so that's really exciting and they've all come by completely different methods you know there's no one way that that arrives on my desk you know you know so and obviously i've, we've, I've worked with a couple of a and r people who uh, and we have a little network of people who recommend stuff to us and then it kind of we just it just filters through and then if if they if people think that's something I like, then uh, then you get it's two things. Right? If I if I if I love it, that's one thing. Or the guy who wants to sign it has to really love it. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I have to I have to like it and I have to respect it and I have to understand it a little bit. But I don't necessarily have to love it if somebody else loves it. And because what well, they've I got expect, they've got to drive the energy through, I suppose, haven't they? They've got to kind yeah, of yeah. What keep... I expect from the commitment from those from those people is very high from the art from the from the NR people. And so they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to, it's got to be more than just thinking it's a great band. You know what I mean? It's got to be yeah, a yeah. real path because that's it's the only way it works, you know. So if I see that, if I see that with somebody, with one of the guys, I see that that, that passion's there, then I'll go, I'll go with it, you know. But we don't sign that, that much. So, you know, so it's, you know, so it's not like we've got tons of stuff going. So it's got, you know, we're very, very picky. Well, I, I think obviously you have to be. I mean, that's the other thing also, because, I mean, there's just so much out there and so many ways to kind of be introduced to new music mm. that, you know, that's just getting on, staying on top of that's got to be a kind of full-time commitment for somebody at least or, or a whole bunch of people. What, to... Uh, to just to, 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 to maintain, listen to stuff. Yeah, just to be able to kind of... There's so many yeah, ways to, to be introduced to it now. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's fairly arbitrary, really. I mean, you know, I think people follow... The thing now is following blogs. You know, there's some yeah. tastemaker blogs that people follow. There's random things, people just going around MySpace. I don't know how much more important, how, not sure how important MySpace is these days. Probably still for bands, it's still pretty important. But blogs, I think, are, are one of the ways. And you just, and it's just chance luck. It, there's so much yeah. luck involved. Yeah, can't well, tell that's you. true. You know, being somewhere, uh, happen, you happen to be at a place where a band's playing. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how much luck is involved, but then you have to turn that luck into something. But, you know, most you know, definitely. Find, yeah. So um, one of the reasons we're talking to you, obviously, is the short circuit. Uh, you're curating a couple of days uh, on the 13th and 14th of May, That's um, right. which is all kind of mute stuff or pretty much. Uh, has everybody got a mute connection or is it is it uh, is, is it a, a broader uh, church than that? Everybody's got some kind of mute connection. I mean, generally speaking, they were either they were, are, or will be on the record label or the publishing company. Basically, that's it, really. And, and yeah. we could have we could have brought, but we had too, you know, we had enough stuff really without broadening it out, and there's enough breadth, I think, of, of, of things. So yeah, it's, it's all. Everybody's got a connection, a mute connection. I notice um, you're doing a DJ set there as well. Yeah. Is that something you're doing a lot of, or is that just something that kind of? Uh... It's something I'm. I'm. I, I got invited. I've always done a little bit, you know, but literally like one a year or something, you know. And then I got invited to do 
Um, there's a there's a label called Sandwell District in uh, in Berlin. But she's run by English guys, and they had a night at a club called Berghain, which is like the, probably one of the most famous techno clubs in the world now. I would say, uh-huh. and. Uh, they invited me to DJ because they were fans. So I did a, a slot. I did the midnight to three slot, which is the early slot. And I just enjoyed it so much. I can't tell you. I just really had a lot. I really had such a great time doing it. So I, a friend of mine over there in Berlin is an agent. And she's helping me out getting a few gigs. I've done a few. I'm doing like one every two months or something like that. And it's very, uh, it's not, I'm not playing kind of retro anything at all. It's all very kind of contemporary electronic dance music, really. Oh, interesting. So is there a new career for Daniel Miller as a superstar DJ then? Travelling the world with your laptop and a pair of headphones? Yep, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about Short Circuit then. I mean, what's what was the kind of thinking behind bringing it together? How did it come about? What's the kind of philosophy behind it? Um, the we Well, we thought, we thought we'd be thinking about doing something like that for quite a while, but it's, it's, an, it's a big undertaking, you know. And then the Roundhouse, well, Short Circuit is a festival that is put on by the Roundhouse every year. Yeah. House in, in Chalk Farm in London. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the venue. Not yet, but I intend to be. Yeah, it's an incredible venue. It's, it's, it's an old railway shed um, which, where they used to turn the trains round and turn them back up north. So okay. the train, you know, so it's round, it's got that turntable thing. Anyway, it's, it's, it's been renovated recently and it's, it's just great. And they basically... Inv- asked us the people who run the short circuit asked us to do it and we said okay and then there wasn't really a philosophy particularly it was just like let's try and get as many of the artists in as possible and see what we what happens and we wanted to make it a kind of slightly i mean yeah i mean yeah we want to make it noisy and electronic-y and not all electronic obviously because a lot of the artists are not electronic but it was just to try and get as many people in it was an opportunity to get as many people from the past and the present and the future in one place at once and see what happened really is, it, is, it, is there a sort of element of kind of muteness and sort of team building and to it as well? Which Because I remember, you know, going to publishing conventions where all the people with the same publisher all sort of get together and you get a kind of an energy from it as well. Well, maybe. I mean, it, that, hopefully there's a few collaborations, you know, which is great. Yeah. Um, well, the Razia are playing and they've got some special guests coming and, you know, Maps and Polyscattergood are working together and... We're hoping that Richard Hawley and Josh G. Pearson are going to do some stuff together. And there's quite a few things like that. And people, you know, so that was one of the things, just giving, giving some people an opportunity to do things they don't normally do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I noticed you're going to have um, the guys from uh, Schneider's Borough over there as well doing uh, some installation. Is that right? Well, they're basically putting up their super booth or whatever it's called now. Yes, uh, we saw it at Mesa. The carousel thing, yeah. The carousel. Yeah, that's what it is. The yeah. evolution of synthesis. The evolution of synthesis, exactly. And I've known those guys for quite a long time now, and a fairly regular customer. And you know, I get, I get you know, they're really great guys. I, I slightly helped them a little bit setting up that thing, the thing they're doing at the Rough Trade Shop in London as well. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. Uh, and I just love, you know, when the first time I saw the Super Booth a few years ago at Messer, and it was just like an incredible where everything's clocked. You know, that's I just thought that's. Everything was clocked from the same source in the whole super booth. So whatever you did, started doing if it was, you know, uh, sequencery or a drum machine or anywhere, it was all synced with what somebody was doing, you know, on the other side. Or you never knew, you know, never met. I thought that was brilliant. So everybody was sort of jamming along 
and, uh, and also less cacophony. It actually serves a very good purpose too. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and um, I thought that would be really nice to have in at the roundhouse. It's going to be sort of in the foyer. So as you come in, there's all this people. You know, you'll hear all this noise and have a go, have, be able to have a go. You know, and they're really into the spirit of the whole thing. It's good. Yeah, so that shows group thing is going to be excellent. And we've also got um, guy a guy called who runs a sort of workshop called Dirty Electronics. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, I've not. But uh, what he does is he gets he he gets a group of people together, maybe twenty twenty five people, and they all build a very simple. You know, on the day, it's like a four hour four or five hour session and these 25 people they all get the very basic parts they build a synthesizer for each and then they rehearse a piece and then perform it oh that sounds fantastic yeah and uh, these synthesizers are great actually and you know we're having a little customized one made and you know a mute one made and uh and, and it's good because the roundhouse one of the round things that the roundhouse does on a regular basis it's not just a venue they also have a lot of um facilities for local kids to, to learn about music and learn that they have rehearsal rooms down there and they're in studios and all sorts of things. And so they're going to get some of the local kids who work in those studios to build these synths and then do the performance. So that's, that's, that's very exciting. And then, you know, got, there's people who have been affiliated with music, like uh, Flood, uh, producers like Flood and Gareth Jones, who both between them have probably produced, you know, 75% of all yeah. our records, you know. Some, some of my favourite records, that's for sure, yeah. Yes, I just, I just got a press piece from uh, his, the art and craft of recording, Flood will yeah. be demonstrating, right? Yeah, so, and, and Gareth's going to be, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be talks like that, and Paul, uh, Stefan Betka, do you know Paul, the German artist Paul? Uh-huh. Uh, who's also, he's also an incredibly good mastering engineer. He's performing, and he's going to do a talk about mastering as well, just for a laugh. And um got Anton Corbin the photographer who's been very closely associated with mute artists, especially Depeche, doing a talk. You know, so it's got a whole mixture of things going on over the two days. That's going to be absolutely fantastic. And uh, tickets are available now, I, I Tickets believe. are available now. And um, if you just go to – if you just uh, – if anybody wants to go to – I don't know what the email the, – uh, the, uh, the URL is, but if they just type in round, short circuit roundhouse, then they'll, they'll get there. And, you know – You've got two guys, you know, Andy Fletcher and Martin Gore from Depeche are going to be DJing as well. Got Lieback playing, Chris and Cozy, or sorry, um, Carter Tutti, as they're called, are now playing. Uh, Liars, God, it's just endless. Loads of loads of great stuff. And new artists like uh, Josh T. Pearson and um, uh, Big Deal and um, Beth Jean's Hout, all, all doing stuff. It's going to be, I think it's going to be great. And it's, on Saturday, it's like the whole day. It goes from mid from like eleven in the morning till midnight, and I think on the on Friday it goes like from six till midnight. Well, it's uh, yes, it's round roundhouse dot org dot uk is where you want to go for that. Good, yes. Please uh, go. Please go. Let me <laughs> see. I'm just looking for ticket prices here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Friday's thirty quid. Saturday's forty five. Friday and Saturday tickets are seventy five quid. So head on up there. We'll certainly be. I know that AES is on in London as well, um, so we're going to be up in town. So we hope to come and, and say hi, definitely. Oh, see if great. we can get, get yeah, some lo- stuff. Be lovely to see you there. And um, I think Will Will from Goldfrap might be involved in the dirty electronics thing as well. He might be helping out with that. So that should be fun. Oh, excellent. What day is that happening? <laughs> <laughs> I got gotcha you now. 
one actually, of the no, two it days. It's the Saturday. It's it must the be the Saturday. Yeah. Well, brilliant, well, Daniel. I know I know your time is rather limited, so I won't keep you. Okay. But I want to thank you very much indeed for uh, a chat with us. It's been great to to finally hook up. I know you've heard heard us going on a bit on uh, on the podcast and listened in the past. So I really do appreciate you uh, coming on as a guest. That's been fantastic. I wish you every success with the short circuit uh, days. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And keep up the good work. I enjoy your podcast a lot. And uh, yeah, I enjoy listening to them. So keep that. Keep up the good work with that. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, all right, we'll see you, um, see you shortly, uh, hopefully um, next weekend. Yeah, brilliant. All right, all the best. Okay, bye. Cheers, bye-bye.